Welcome to Mother, the show where we can explore our inner mothers to actualize our greatest selves through interviews with incredible guests, live coaching sessions, and my own experiences. We're going to dive deep into embracing feminine values and reparenting ourselves. So be prepared to show up, hold space, and be mothered in a way you never have before, but have always needed. It's time to rewrite the mother code. Well, welcome to my podcast, Dr. Gertrude Lyons on the Mother Her, Rewriting the Mother Code podcast. And I'm super excited to have my guest today, which is Logan Steiner. I'll say a little bit about her, but welcome, Logan. So good to have you. So happy to be here. Thanks hey. for inviting me on, Gertrude. Absolutely. Well, um, we were just talking before we got started that you know, there, there's lots of things for us to like be with and talk about, but you know, particularly her mothering journey and and all of that. So I'm just going to say a couple things because I've known. We were just talking about how I met Logan because she married um, a very good friend of mine's son, who I've known, you know, for over 30 years, and just you know how wonderful it's been. We've developed a relationship both as friends, you know, through that, but also. Uh, some in and out coaching relationship for various reasons and currently part of a couples group that my husband and I lead. So a lot of touch points. And I think I'm already tearing up a little bit thinking about your journey and how it's been such an honor to be a part of it. So if you don't mind, I'd love it if you share, I'm not going to give away any details about you. If you would kind of share a little bit, you know, even if it's some of your professional journey, everything so people can get a picture of you and then we'll dive into the specific mothering stuff. Sure, absolutely. So I just have to say to start what a what a big piece of my journey you have been, Gertrude, and uh-huh. how you have held, you know, the vision of mothering for me in whatever form that takes. And I, I just love your work on really broadening the definition of motherhood. It's so beautiful. And I love that vision that you've held for so many years. And you've been such a mentor and support and, and really inspiration to me. So thank you for that. Thank you, that, first of all. So oh, interrupting yes. you, I wasn't expecting that, but yay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so mutual. I'm so inspired by so much of what you've done. And I didn't even say any of these things. So she's going to talk about how she's a writer and an attorney and cares so much in so many venues and mothers so much in her in your life, Logan, but it, you can jump into some of that. Oh, yes. So I am a an attorney. I've now been an attorney for coming up on 14 years. And I am a writer as well. And those were two identities that I knew that I wanted, I I knew I wanted to write fiction from a very young age. This was a childhood dream that never stopped for me. And I was a creative writing emphasis English major at Pomona College in California, a small liberal arts school where I met my husband, now husband David. We've had a very long journey together, 18 years, took our time getting to know each other and getting married. But in college, I continued to pursue creative writing. That was my true love. And I also, so much of my journey has been informed by my mom's journey. My mom is an artist and has such a creative spirit and really 
showed me how a creative that we we all have creativity in us. I, mm. I firmly believe that and how yeah, pursuing whatever outlet for that creative passion calls to you can really add so much to a life and be so fulfilling. And I saw that in my mom. But my mom also showed me that it's important to have something that, you know, pays the bills that you really care about as well and to mm-hmm. really be your own artistic patron. So my mom taught, uh, had a 36 year career at Colorado College teaching fiber arts and then produced her own incredible fiber artwork in her spare time along with raising mm-hmm. me and my brother. And so that was such a big piece of my journey and why I decided in college to um, pursue a legal career. I knew that I would love the legal fairness, justice aspect. Sure. Um, and, you know, the, the, the writing side of law and the focus on fairness and justice those have always been really important principles to me. And that that could be a sort of stabilizing foundation for my creative life. And so I went straight from Pomona College. I went straight into law school at Harvard. So hit both posts. Uh, coming from Colorado, it was a fun journey to see mm. other parts of the country. I hadn't traveled much before school. So um, I really enjoyed, I I had a lot of, um, sort of prejudgments about what uh, Harvard would be and uh, didn't think that I, that it would be an enjoyable experience. I thought it would be a great educational experience, but it yeah. ended up being a place that I met some of my best friends and was really oh. a wonderful part of my journey. And I, I loved my experience at Pomona College. It was just a incredible, beautiful little academic oasis where I really had incredible professor mentors. And it was great to go to a big law school with, you know, a lot of different things that I could pursue in law school. Yeah, I was yeah. part of a moot court team and, and did pro bono work. I was part of the Harvard Legal Aid Bureau. So that was a two-year intensive program really focused oh, wow. on legal aid work and came out of law school, you know, with a determination to make my legal career my own and not just follow a well-trodden path. But I also wanted to pay off my loan. So I did that right. <laughs> <laughs> as quickly as possible. Uh, worked, clerked for judges and um, spent years at um, a really a great big firm in Chicago where I got great brief yeah. writing experience and great early life experience. But my creative dream sort of fell to the side as I was pursuing that early law path that was all consuming mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it was really a huge piece of my journey has been losing my brother, Ben, mm-hmm. um, very unexpectedly and suddenly yeah. through a brain aneurysm back in 2014. Yeah. And that was an incredible shock and a lingering huge, huge sadness. Um, mm-hmm. He and I grew up side by side, playing really closely together. And he taught me so much. He was such a warm, kind loving, consistent presence in my life. He was born with spina bifida. So he had cognitive physical disabilities growing up that he never let define him. And he and I were playmates all through growing up. And I think that he really showed me how much persistence can pay off and 
you know, he defied expectations his whole life. They thought he wouldn't walk or talk. They thought he might lose his hearing. He walked and talked and was an incredible speller. And he uh, went to college beyond anyone's, you know, uh, expectations. I didn't remember that. Wow. He did. And he was determined uh, to go as far away for college as I had gone for college. <laughs> he went uh, to Concordia College in Moorhead, Minnesota. Oh, um, my gosh. It was incredible. He applied himself and got in and a story that my parents and I tell to this day all the time. But losing him was the deepest pain of my life. And, you know, out of that was really born this like greater appreciation for making the most of the time that I have on this earth, not knowing how much time there will be and getting back to my true love of writing. And it was in the year after losing him that I took a six-month unpaid leave of absence from my law firm, which was very supportive of that. And Supportive, but also, I don't want to, I think we need to emphasize there, like, you carved a path there. This was, as you just are talking about Ben and the inspiration he was, carving his own path and defying kind of the status quo, because this is one of the underlying themes, I think, for you was was that, because this mm-hmm. this was had never been done before. So I just want to sprinkle in a a few of the ways that at a very large, prestigious law firm in Chicago that, you know, if anyone's not familiar, has are very set in their ways, can be very bureaucratic, can be very also like, you know, hugely very high expectations of devoting your life to that, you know, place. So just thought this was an important time to like throw that part in. That is true. That is true. And that was, you know, it was it was out of being at the firm for five years um, and proving myself kind of day in and day out that I earned the credibility to be able to get support to do this. And it was out of a lot of goodwill and care of the people that I worked with as well. But it's true. I think that was really where I stepped off the sort of well-trodden law path. I'd always wanted to carve my own path. And that's when I really started to do that. And I think that was a big big move for me in becoming the woman that I that I am becoming was mm-hmm. stepping off that path. And that year, I just was really awakened to a lot. And that six-month leave is when I started the research and outlining of what has become now a, a seven-year path and project, my first child in a way, mm-hmm. project that I have mothered with such care and love for many years now. And it's the life story of the author, Lucy Mon Montgomery, who whose writing meant so much to me growing up and who I think had a life that is full of layers. Absolutely fascinating for anyone who's interested in somebody who had a quick rise to fame, was incredibly imaginative, created these characters and also suffered from depression, you know, a lot of personal tragedies, had a husband who was deeply threatened by her success and a child who, you know, was was a sociopath and who she really struggled with these parts of her life that she didn't feel like she could own or align with her writer identity. And, and at the time, it was so hard to make those really hard things public. And there was this whole kind of interesting, beautiful, hard undercurrent to her life that she ultimately hid from the world. And uh, there's just so much that's inspiring and, and so much that's hard and tragic about her story. And it's informed me in so many ways to be with it for seven years. And I've written and rewritten this book each time that I thought I was finished. There were so many times when there would be a whole new layer that would reveal itself. And each time that 
was exactly what I needed to explore. And yeah, I think that's that, what I good because I yeah. wanted you to go into a little bit like how your journey was mirroring the journey of your writing and how they were informing each other. And you were learning and growing along with like, this wasn't just a like, oh, I, I got to write this book and, you know, get the job done. It was, Absolutely. like you said, very personal, if you want to touch on a little bit of that. Yes. For me, writing is a way ultimately to explore my own self. And that's, you know, the, the deepest purpose in writing and the ultimate aim. And I think that, you know, if I had just been going out to get published or to sell books, this project wouldn't have fed me nearly as much. And that's, that's not the why. It, it can't be the why, even as, as tempting as it is to make it the why sometimes. But it was so much a mirror of my mothering journey. So, you know, I think I went into writing this book pretty convinced. I had been pretty convinced since I was 12 years old that I didn't want to have kids. And I loved kids. I babysat kids, but I would tell anybody who would listen that that, you know, I, I was pretty sure that that wasn't for me. And I think that I, you know, was part of my interest in Maud's life was that she had really had a son who had mental health struggles that, you know, were kind of out of her control so much of for me, what was scary about the idea of having a baby is all that you can't control and mm -hmm. having this other person who's dependent, who you love, who you adore, and yet they're going to be on their own journey and it's their own separate becoming. And there's only so much you can influence. And that to me was terrifying on a deep level. And mm -hmm. it was for Maude too. She has this beautiful line in her journal soon after her first son was born that the mothers of Judas and Moses and and Jesus all thought that their babies were perfect. And, mm. you know, they all had these very different roles in history and life. But, you know, it's, what a terrible, horrible, you know, beautiful thing it is to be a mother that your love and devotion can't control what ends up coming your way. And, you know, she had sort of a premonition there. But I think I, I went yeah. into writing this book with that deep fear and maybe went in trying, to, you know, thinking that this book would help continue to talk me out of mothering. And instead, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> instead, I think it was such a part of what led me to, you know, I'm now a mother of a 15 month old and it's been such a journey of opening. And I, I rewrote the motherhood scenes in my book more than any other scenes as my own journey unfolded. But I think that you know, so much of my journey toward becoming a mother has been about reconciling this deep fear and where it came from and, and realizing that so much of my reluctance was about fear and that it was keeping me from looking at the other side of the possibility of bringing a life into the world that, of course, there's so little control. And I think my brother and, you know, losing him drove that home for me. But I don't think my parents would say for a single day, nor would I, that we aren't so, so happy for every day that he was in the mm. world just because of the pain later. Thank you. I know we're, we're both tearing up. <laughs> yeah. We are. <laughs> well, you're just hitting on it so poignantly through your journey. I just want you to keep going, Logan, but yeah. just acknowledging that how present you are with this, you know, in this moment now sharing and I'm learning things and I feel mm -hmm. like I've, there's so much I know about you. So thank you. So keep, Aww. keep going. Thank you. Yes. It's just, uh, a lovely opportunity to, to reflect on all this. So I think that a big piece around the same time that I started writing this book, I got some test results that showed that I was likely to go through menopause early and that my fertility was, you know, at age 33, what they would expect of a 40, 40 year old 
40 to 45 year old. And so with that news, um, you know, at the same time that my husband, David, and I were pretty convinced at that point that we didn't want to have a baby, we being the options people that we are and the analytical <laughs> people that we are, um, decided that we should um, go through IVF and keep that chance open. And I'd like to think, I think that there was a deeper intuition that was operating at the mm. same time that I probably wasn't as in touch with at the time, but I got to be in touch with it when we found out at the end of a very intensive IVF process that we had two um, embryos that had genetically tested as viable and that they were both female. And I got this news when I was sitting at my big law firm desk. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> so well because it had clear, it had glass, you know, that was see-through. And so it was not a private office at all. And I just started weeping in mm. my office. And that mm. took me incredibly aback. I was so moved to know that mm. this had worked. I think there was a part of me that believed it wouldn't work. It was not a possibility sure. for me. And so there was some self-protection involved in my belief that, this wasn't for me. And to know that this was, I think I just had a really deep intuition that somehow I was meant to mother and that these embryos were sort of telling me that and, and preserving the possibility for a time when my husband and I were both really aligned and ready in that time ended up not coming for five years. It was five years later, you know, having uprooted, moved to Colorado in a move that felt very risky for us mm. to risk averse folks. And that was really aligned with our vision of, you know, being in nature a lot more and carving out a life in a city neither of us had lived in before. But it was, you know, here and in kind of different places in our career and having made several more law job moves into jobs that really fed me and were a beautiful fit that we decided that we were, it, it's hard. I don't think we ever decided that we were sore that we wanted yeah. to have a baby. There was no sore <laughs> about it. It no. was just that we were pulled toward it and we were at a place where we could see it. And there were so many iterations of the journey. I think, you know, I'm, I'm so interested in the decision-making process around yeah. deciding to become a parent, because I think it's something that doesn't get talked about enough. And there's so much kind of societal yeah. messaging around like, Oh, you just know, or right. just roll the dice, or you'll never be sure, or of course you should do it. Everybody should do it. Um, there's a lot 100%. of wrong making if you don't want to. There's a lot of default decision making as opposed to really thoughtful contemplation. And I'm really glad that we spent, you know, 17 years doing that deep contemplation yeah. and deep work. Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Zihuatanejo, meaning land of the goddess women, and coming to really take time for yourself, okay? And that I am learning more and more 
isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish. It's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go. It's a five and a half day retreat, getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone, I will be honest. You know, if the idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up, but now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings. And if you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. Well, that's, I totally, yeah. I'm so glad you're underlining that because those were a couple of things I wanted to kind of scoop back up and, and look at because you're touching on, right? Like there's all these factors, influences, wiring, you know, that influence us in this pathway. And, and we can be, you know, anywhere from mindless to, you know, thinking we're sure, but still it's, it hasn't really been a, a very discerned decision, you know, because Oftentimes, I think also on the opposite end, it's like we're, well, you were sure at one point you didn't want to have kids, right? Right. But you opened yourself up. You didn't say so rigid in it that you didn't open yourself up to, you know, the possibilities and the, and the talking about it. But I would love for you to spend a little bit of time looking at maybe even, you know, there was that fear times. And then just now when you said like, we weren't, it's not like we said, like, we know that this is, you know, the time and we're doing it, but we were in an open and enough space. But you know, I know you and David have been on your own growth journeys have, you know, there's things that you've learned kind of how to explore these big, these big milestones and decisions in your life. So if you want to say a little bit about that, I think it would be really useful. I mean, not useful, Absolutely. but you know, helpful. And it's also very inspiring. Absolutely. Yes. I, um, you know, I think that it's, it's interesting because we're both such analyzers and I, you know, would love to be able to say, oh, we, we applied this formula and got to (laughs) being the right one for us. And this is what other people can take. But really, I think so much of it was about surrender and Mm -hmm. 
things that are very hard to articulate. Um, and, but I think that the reason that we were able to make a decision out of being with that unknown and surrender and the things that are hard to articulate is because of the work that we've both done, um, you know, to, to grow ourselves, to get in touch with our, ourselves okay. and to, um, kind of open up to the world of feeling, um, beyond what, you know, in our heads and what we could put on a pro con list, um, uh, mm-hmm. where we really, uh, felt through the decision in the end. And I think the, the opening of that feeling journey for me was when I was sobbing in the, you know, mm-hmm. glass office at my law firm. Um, and I really realized that there was a, a pull that I hadn't been conscious of and that I then started to hold the pole of let's stay open to this mm-hmm. Poor David who had spent, you know, 12 <laughs> years trying to con- convincing that parenthood wasn't for us after he had always sort of assumed that he would be a parent growing up. Mm-hmm. I had fully convinced him that we had so many things to do with our life. And that was, you know, not where we wanted to put our energy. And then I, which is a totally viable path, right? right. Yeah. Oh, which absolutely. Is, and I think and he got I on board with you with that. Right. And he that got was fully beautiful. On board. He yeah. got fully on board and it was beautiful. And I, and I remain fully convinced that we could have had a beautiful life in either direction. There was no mm-hmm. right answer here for us. And totally. that I would have been on a mothering journey, regardless of the choice I made to, to become a mother of a, a baby or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that's so much of your work that I think yeah. is so beautiful. There's a mother in each of us yeah. and whatever, however we choose to, you know, pursue it. And just like, I think there's a creator in each of us. I mean, I think that they're really married, mm-hmm. that belief that we each have that creative energy and, um, I think so easily get stifled in our current society and are yeah. undervalued. But, um, but I think it, it was really, yeah. So I, after that, you know, bait and switch of now I think we should open ourselves up. <laughs> Five years of a lot of conversations, a lot of, you know, long nights spent opening up our hearts and for me really exploring so much of the the fear that came from losing Ben and um and you know where that that deep fear and the love of control and having things in order and and all of those things um, that inform that I think uh, were the reason or the primary reason that I um, was in the no camp for so long Mm -hmm. and then opened to what letting go of those fears and entering into this unknown anyway would look like and and what the possibilities were. I think it was allowing ourselves to vision what's possible, what's this this could be a really interesting life experience that we um that's unique and that would be hard to get in a different way and and what would that look like and are we ready for it and mm-hmm. i think that it was a lot of soul searching and really just not rushing and i'm so grateful that i had those those embryos um because well, it they ended pre- up that we were 37 and and noah our daughter is one of those embryos so mm. Well, I want to get back to that because that was another choice point for the two of you that I want to name, but I also want to underline a couple of things because, you know, I obviously I know you, you know, and levels and you're doing such a beautiful job reflecting on this. And I kind of like the, the, um, 
with the, your law firm and that, like, you know, this, this wasn't a like, oh, I, you know, had, you know, some feelings about it. So I decided to do it. I mean, you, you know, dedicated, you and David dedicated yourselves to your personal work, to exploring, you know, these mistaken beliefs and really turning yourself inside out. Um, yeah. You know, this, yeah. I, I want to emphasize a little bit the, like, we're analyzers and an analyzer thinking is, like you said, logical and let's, you know, there, we should be able to lay this out in a spreadsheet and get the answer. Right. Um, but so much of this, you know, this time has been you opening yourself up to, you know, I'm going to put it in the like right side of the brain, the yin side, feminine side of, of your thinking. Like, we don't know for sure where there's unsurety here and just, facing the terror of not having control and not and honoring but still then allowing myself to actually honor this intuitive space and that yeah this might be really painful and losing my brother was the deepest pain mm-hmm. I ever felt i'm kind of setting myself up for that again um yeah. because you know in in a number of ways you don't not like you know exactly how but i think we all intuitively and can see that you know motherhood and having children is going to have varying degrees of it one way or another. But I feel like you built yourself, you built, I want to underline the part of you that built capacity for those feelings, you know, and that you started to trust that like, yeah, when that comes along again, and everything that's involved with the roller coaster of emotions, I'm going to either I'll get support if it feels like too much. And I also have a such a huge capacity for it. And I want to, you know, name that as well. So if you want to comment or underline any of that for yourself. So beautifully said. That's absolutely right. And I'm so grateful for the years spent doing that. You know, both David and I were on a journey of building ourselves into adults and, you know, setting a lot of, you know, the the younger selves, the younger versions of ourselves, which were beautiful versions. But I think I'm so grateful to be for each year that we spent together on that journey and for the relationship foundation that we have. It's been huge. You know, I think that we've both been surprised at how much we've enjoyed parenthood and (laughs) savored it. And I know that there'll be everything you said that's true about the challenges that we know are there. We know, you Mm -hmm. know, we know and we knew going in out of all that deep kind of feeling and thinking that we were opening ourselves up to inevitable pain and hardship mm-hmm. in, in this journey. But I think, you know, the foundation that we have in our relationship has made it a really beautiful early parenting experience in a way that neither of us were expecting. But I think more fundamental has been the foundation in myself, yeah. you know, and David's foundation in himself. But knowing that no matter what happens, I've got myself. And I know myself and I am continuing to know myself more deeply, but that's really, you know, the rock on which my parenting journey is now built. And I'm so mm. grateful for that. And and for me, it, it took until age 37 and it's yeah. still being built. It's not like I'm there, but yeah. it, it took until age 37 to feel like I've I've got that solid enough that I'm ready to ask another person to enter this life with us. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just so moved. I have goosebumps all over with you saying that, Logan. That was so, you know, beautiful because you're you're now like emphasizing that it's okay to surrender to a process. I think sometimes, yeah. you know, when you when you heard that at 33, it's like, oh my god, and that's what I get really upset about, right? Like when me too, our, our medical world that just like you know puts this fear of 
scarcity fear in you and so many women like, oh my gosh, like I, I can't, yeah, yeah, you, you did take a step toward giving yourself some options, but it wasn't like, well, we got to decide this now. Like there's no, you know, um, this really unnecessary urgency that could come about. Um, but I, I really want to honor that, like, you know, being in the process and, and feeling your way through it is what got you where you got. And it doesn't mean if it had happened, then, you know, it's, there's no right or wrong necessarily, but right. I want to underline like, cause this is different thinking, right? This is expanded thinking and experience that is beyond the norm of, of what we think. And I think particularly in this culture now, you know, a lot of women already, you know, are, they've just heard so many stories of women having, you know, having trouble getting pregnant and going through IVF and, it's mm-hmm. it's getting more and more wired, you know, in us that like it's going to be hard. The clock is ticking. The clock yes. is ticking. The right? clock is it, ticking. That's such a narrative. It's the worst. I mean, that yes. So many friends, and it is this crucible. It can be. It can be a crucible that in in which I I think it's hard to make the kind of decision that we, we've been talking about the really mm-hmm. deeply felt decision. And I'm glad, you know, for for me. I had already sort of put myself outside of the crucible in my early thinking of, you know, I'm not going to accept the standard narrative that everybody has to have kids. Yeah. Um, but, but I did feel some of that talk is taking, you know, pressure when I got those test results and science was a beautiful thing in allowing mm-hmm. some of that pressure to be released. Um, but I do think that there's so much of that narrative. It's something that I'm I'm so interested in exploring because I think that's that is informing so many people's decisions these days. That I know, you know, pressure around the timing and you know, really fear based decision making. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just a narrative that's throughout our whole society. Yeah, and it's you know, I, I don't know. We could, I I have strong feelings about it, um, <laughs> so that we don't have to decide. But not like I haven't spoken about them before. But uh, I I think for me, it's that's why I love doing this and love talking to you. And now, you know, a lot of people and women are and men are going to hear this and like, oh, you know, there's other ways to do this. And, you know, raising awareness is such a key, key piece. And, um, you know, I, I actually have David's father uh, to thank for that for me, which is a cool connection, you know, with with us and yes. how these things evolve and work um because it was david's father stan that you know opened my eyes to the possibility of growth work at all you know and then different ways to birth and think about pregnancy and birth because of the experience that you know he and his wife at the time and you know had home births and i was like what you know like things that were just so out of my realm of knowing and comfort zone but peaked a, an interest, a, a pos- showed a different possibility. And, you know, that's another thing I want to name here is like having people in our lives and then allowing those to like sit there and, you know, and and be with them and, and honor when people are sharing with us like other, you know, possibilities and that there is no one way. There's limitless possibilities, you know, for how we can have the things that we want and and then exploring decisions, you know, and and I'm going back to thinking about how much you know, going through like your work career and then, and then the book and how you had to learn to mother yourself, you know, in those choices, uh, that really built that 
sense also, you know, which is a big part of rewriting the mother code is learning to mother yourself. And how do I make choices that, you know, really resonate work for me and are in my best deeper self-care interest. And I think you, you know, in all of the places that you named, but I'm thinking about you with law and the book and marrying, you know, again, masculine, feminine, and that these can all work together. And they're, we don't have to have these silos and there's synergies and wow, look how cool and exciting that is. And I did also want to name like, you know, you guys made this big move to Colorado pre-COVID, you know, before, you know, it was like what everybody started thinking about, you kind of led the way in that way. So, which, you know, who knows what that, making that choice was a big deal. Like, you know, David's family was here, you had a career, he had a career, you know, there was, those were big to like kind of branch out on your own and follow, you know, what felt right you which might not have made logistical sense. Right. And I think right. that's where a lot of this comes into, like some of this doesn't make any logistical sense and yay. Right. Cause <laughs> we don't want it all to make logical, you know, but you're bringing in the, in, the intuitive self. And so one thing I want to also name is, you know, and all of this information that some that we shared that, you know, Logan's writing a book and all of that is going to be in the show notes, but, and actually is, is making its way into the world this May, right? So do you want to say it just is. let's let's just talk about it specifically a little bit and then there's there's still more I want to be with, but that came to mind and I want to make sure we underline that. Absolutely. Yes. The book is coming out May 30th, um, published by HarperCollins and the title is After Anne, a novel of Lucy Maud Montgomery. And, and I don't think you said at the filled. beginning, I know, I don't think you said at the beginning that she's the author of Anna Green Gables, not everybody yes. that would come to mind. Like, I happen to know that because my two daughters loved those, like, literally, you know, particularly my older daughter went to bed listening to those like every night for like ever. Like, I think she has all of those stories memorized. Oh, <laughs> so I love another, that. another, I can't wait for the book. Just, and I can, you know, we'll share it with them, but yeah. So keep going. I know you had chills, right? It's like, that's, we, you know, that that's, it's going to, your, yes. your baby's going to be out in the world. Yes. So you might have feelings about that. Oh, a hundred percent. It's the same losing control, right? That yes. happens <laughs> each day to a greater, greater degree with, with a baby, you know, this, book now is there are things that are happening that are outside of my control. It's so exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, what I keep trying to come back to is this is the dream. I I had always had a dream of being a published author and it's coming, you know, to fruition and I am so thrilled. And it's really been this act of long patience and persistence, you know, the number of times that I went back in and rewrote and re- reworked mm-hmm. this book. And it was, you know, working with two beautiful women who mm. came into my life, my dear agent, Abby Saul, who I met at a conference where she was presenting on a panel of agents. And I, it was, it was intuition. I got filled hearing her speak. I loved how she talked about being an agent and having it be about long-term relationships, really deeply caring about her authors, mm. being an author, an agent who loves to edit. And I just had a sense that I wanted to work with her. And it, it wasn't a story that worked out, you know, magically instantly. I went up to her after the conference, which is very unlike me, and connected with her. And she agreed to read 
the then version of the manuscript, but it was, mm. you know, we went back and forth several times. We had editorial notes. I sent her a new version and then, you know, eventually she agreed to represent me. And then similarly, you know, our, our first voice editor, um, a huge Anne of Green Gables fan. Oh my god. Woodward, we went to with the manuscript. She loved a lot about it. She had ideas about how to rework it. That germinated for a little while. We had a wonderful conversation. I reworked it. You know, this is now several years later, you know, than the initial meeting of, of Abby. And, you know, it, it, it eventually landed with Tessa, but it was after kind of a, a very long journey. And I just love that publishing story. I think so often there can be this sense of, oh, you know, these things just magically happen or, you know, yeah. Things are instantaneous successes. I think that's what everybody dreams of or wants mm. at some level. <laughs> and I am so grateful in terms of my own growth and what this has taught me to have gone through each of those stages and to really feel like it's landed and it's, it's right home with the yeah. people who believed in it, helped separate it, saw my vision of it, not just people who are out there, you know, interested in selling, you know, just there to sell books or really been such a teacher of this mm-hmm. process and driven home for me in all of those years. And there was a ton of rejection in those years too, I should say, and yeah. deep pain and self-doubt. And I'm really grateful for all of that because it just kept teaching me why I was doing it, which mm-hmm. is for me, because this book was feeding me. It was helping me become a deeper, better person. And, you know, I think a lot of people might view it as selfish to say, but I think that that's, that's a big driver of me deciding to become a parent too, is that, you know, there's so much, I can't control what journey mm-hmm. my daughter is going to be on, but I knew I, I had a sense that it would help me become a deeper, better person to have her in my life and to open myself up like that, the control freak that I am. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that, that was a huge motivation of mine. I knew I would grow from it and, a way that totally. I grew from this book. So, well, I want to underline that because you named one of the a myth or something in our culture, like, oh, you know, mothering is just a selfless act. Selfless, you, right. yes. That you just you everything from even thinking about having one is all about that person, and right, right. You just immediately should take yourself out of the narrative, out of you know the experience for them. Right. Like what? Like, why would it be like that? Why wouldn't it be a mutual journey? Right. Why wouldn't it be a mutual journey? Right. Where, of course, like, oh, we're going to, wow, I'm choosing to do this because we get to learn and grow together. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm the adult. I have more knowledge. I, you know, need to take care of you. (laughs) You know, there's by deciding this, I have responsibilities. Yes. But that has nothing to do with like, you know, what you were saying, like, wow. And I think that's one of the better choices to decide to have children is to know that like, oh, I'm doing this because this is a pretty potent vehicle to learn and grow from, you know, to like discover myself and, and, you know, put myself in there as opposed to, I think we set ourselves up. And I think that's one of the things that's, you know, broken about our mothering paradigm is that it's supposed to be about them. And I'm just suddenly supposed to like, not have feelings or, you know, right. um, not have it be about me. And that that just messes things. Well, I think it has impact ripple effects all around, right? But it definitely doesn't do anything good for us at all, right. at all. So right. I'm so glad you, you know, brought that one to the surface. So 
I want to go back to something that I think is another powerful part of your journey that you named when you froze your eggs, you had these, not just eggs, you had these two embryos. And when you and David decided like, okay, we want to, you know, actually go for this and, and, you know, bring a child, invite a child into our life. You had the choice. You didn't have to use that embryo. Like, you know, you could have seen like, well, maybe we could, you know, naturally, but that was another big um, choice point for the two of you. If you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about, you know, how you went about that decision. Absolutely. It was a very hard one. And we did. It was David really had a pull toward trying naturally. I guess the word naturally doesn't feel quite right there, but, but, you know, trying without the embryos first. And so we did that. And I did get pregnant and had a miscarriage that was not diagnosed until week 12. And it was a really, really painful experience and also such a huge teacher how Mm. much the the amount of pain that both of us felt I think that I I hold that that embryo was such a valuable life to us because Mm. I think it showed us how much we really did want this like I said we entered into it still uncertain but but wanting to open ourselves up to it and I think that embryo we found out it was you know male sex that he taught us so much about about ourselves and had such a purpose and we really loved him, honored him. I had no idea that I would feel that way about a, you know, pregnancy of that length. And I'm so grateful. And it was, you know, it was a long period of kind of grieving after that. And my body took a long time to recover, which I really mm-hmm. think was it teaching me that, you know, I needed mm-hmm. to take that space. I really tried to listen to it. And, and then what emerged next, and it was really my intuition at that point was that I wanted to use an embryo and it wasn't a have to, but you know, our doctors did say given where my test results were, it probably would take us a while. I think it was very surprising that we did get pregnant at all at that point. And, and I just felt that same pull that I had had mm-hmm. from but you don't the have words for, I don't have there. words for, yeah. I don't have words for, and, nope. and it was a, roller coaster with mm. this embryo. I we um went through a top IVF clinic and 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 used, you know, the first of the two embryos and the doctor told us that it hadn't worked and that it would be a medical miracle for this pregnancy to succeed. Um this was a top doc at a top IVF clinic told me to go off the supporting hormones was I remember it so well. It was holiday time of 2020 and it was devastating and I getting pills again but I had this really deep intuitive sense from early on that she had implanted she was there and this was part of my journey and I had a really fortuitous conversation with somebody who had been through IVF six times at that time and that there's so much we don't know about early pregnancy, which is true. And there's so much we don't know. There's so about much that science can tell us, but there's also so much that science doesn't so much there that is, I think, behind science and behind and, and beyond our, our knowing. And so you really helped me trust my intuition. I didn't go off the drugs that could have kind of forced a miscarriage at that point. And what the doc, just to be clear, what the doctors suspected mm. is that I had an ectopic pregnancy mm. based on my hormone levels, which is a non-viable pregnancy in the fallopian mm. tube. 
And so they had just never seen results like mine lead to a viable pregnancy. And for the first 12 weeks, they continued to be convinced every time we went in that this was not going to work and it wasn't possible. And what it turned out to be is a very late implantation that they just don't see in IVF. But, you know, she's, she's our daughter. It, it made for a very nerve wracking journey, but it was <laughs> such a, such an example of that trust of intuition that I think oh is, is underlying. It's so, it's so much been a part of my journey. Yes. I'm so glad we have so many great examples uh, of it, Logan. And, and I'm going to underline again, like, you know, this is, is something that you've developed, you know, and learned to honor. Yeah. It's always been there. And, you know, I'm not going to say through hard work. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to dismiss that because I, you know, you hear a story like this. It's like, oh, well, you know, that should just happen to me or she got lucky or, you know, it's not like there's so much that goes in. And yeah, is it a medical miracle or however we want to, to name it? You, to me, like the win is that you've, you were willing to be with whatever the result was, but following mm-hmm. your intuition rose above our left brain knowledge of what was how it was supposed to be. And I, I yeah. just want to, gosh, so keep underlining that and and you know put that out there that this is you know we we have to work the, with the two of those together, right? Like, and I'm not yeah. If, just following your intuition. I'm not saying that's always either way, you know, having the data that no. then I mean, without the science, there, without the yeah. data, none of this would have happened. You know, that's what right. made it possible. And that to me is, it's, it's the same parent between my lawyer brain and my creative writing yes. brain. I think they both feed each other. It's not that they're opposite. It's not that they, one is better than the other. They need each other. Yeah. Um, just like our, our, you know, intuition and science rationality, you know, when they're married, that's when it's most powerful. Yeah, totally. Well, I I know that there's like depth and stories like to all of these, if we could go on all day, but we won't. But I I have the feeling (laughs) that we'll have it. And just today, I'm like, this started, I was just going to interview you, you know, because I'm working on my book proposal. And I knew, you know, I, I want your story in there. And I'm like, why don't what are we waiting for? That's probably going to be a, you know, who knows like when that's actually coming out. So people need to hear this now. And so I'm so grateful that we are doing this as a podcast, but I also want to, you know, name. So one, you know, we'll have in the show notes, everything people need to know about uh, your book and how they can get it and, and what that means. But you've also just launched a blog and on everything that we're talking about. So why don't you name that name ways and any and all ways that people that you'd like people to be able to get in touch with you to, you know, learn more, read more and, uh, and connect. Yes. So the blog is called the motherhood question and it is on Substack, and, um, it is really about digging into this process of exploring the question. It's not about there being being an answer, but it's really about featuring different perspectives on making the decision to become a parent in whatever way that manifests for people and really honoring the choice not to become a parent as well and to mother parent in other ways in life. And so it's I've called it a blog for the unsure, mm-hmm. really out of the loneliness that I felt in that many year period of not yeah. being sure and feeling like everybody around me somehow was sure. And I know that wasn't true because so right. many people came out of the woodwork as I started to own my own complexity about the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, the aim is is to really speak to those people in 
that unsure place and help them feel less alone and help with ways to sort through the decision to really feel through the decision just as we've been talking about today and what a gift i'm so happy you're doing that we've you know, you've been sharing how this has come to fruition as well. And, you know, a, another way of putting yourself out there, which is vulnerable. And I so appreciate that. So we'll we'll put that info. You'll give me the, you I know, will. so someone could just click and, and go to that as well, because I'm sure they're, you're going to have many people who are going to want to. And I also want to name, you know, I don't think I said this at the beginning, what an inspiration you've been to me. And I, that's what I love about coaching is how, you know, the the mutuality of the inspiration and uh and name i think you're you know one of the handful of people that have actually read my dissertation <laughs> just because of I that love left brain your side dissertation. left brain side of you you know that, that's like you know uh oh dis- that's why i'm writing a book so make it accessible but you know and and you've really you know inspired inspired me with who you are, but then also supported me. And and I just want to say thank you, you know, for that and how much um, you've been on my journey with me as you're on your journey and how we've worked together in that way. It's been uh, such a gift to me and I'm so, so grateful. Oh, it was such an honor to read your dissertation and just to be with you in this incredible journey you've had. And I, I mean, it just, it's, it's so, I think our, we're in such conversation with one another right now. It's kind of amazing because it is, you know, we've known each other for a long time and that's not where we were when we first met. And and now it's, (laughs) it's just incredible. This has been such a gift to be with you today. Yeah. These iterations. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm naming those kind of goosebumped and, and, you know, feeling all the feels about that. Um, so last question, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up for real is what does rewriting the mother code mean to you? Rewriting the mother code to me means letting go, really looking inside instead of outside. Mm. So much of my last 20 years has been about that. It's very much a work in progress for me, but I think that, um, and we've talked about this in the last hour, but there's so much about the messaging around mothering that's external, be there for your child, do things for your child, your child becomes the center of your universe. And I think rewriting the mother code is, you know, you are the center of your universe. I am the center of my universe. Um, I'm built myself as strong and capable as I can and honoring that that is, that's a gift to my daughter. That's a gift to whatever projects I choose to mother and really holding that it's not about becoming a parent or not. It's about the internal sort and being with the part of us that's called to, to separate along things in our lives, regardless of what those things are and do that from a real feminine, intuitive space. Yes. And honor that space. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I love asking that question because there's always, you know, there's some threads of similarity, but like it's, you know, when it comes personally, you know, from you and your experiences, it just means so much to me. So thank you so, so much for being here. This is really hard for me to end because I keep thinking of more I want us to talk about. <laughs> um, but we'll, to be we'll continued. consider that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To be continued. <laughs> but this isn't goodbye. This is just goodbye for this particular episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll keep going. All right. Thanks so much, Logan. Thank you, Gertrude. Thank you so much for choosing yourself and taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe to Mother. Wait, no. Subscribe to Mother Her. It helps other people who need this message, aka all women, well, actually everybody, men included, find it. I'm honored to have you on this journey in mothering yourself. Remember, change is uncomfortable, but it's beautiful and it starts with us. And if you can't wait until next week's episode, follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn at Dr. Gertrude Lyons or at my website, drgertrudelyons.com. I'll see you next time.